Welcome to another inspirational teaching from Faith Family Church by Senior Pastor Mike DeBenke. For more information about our ministry, visit us on the web at myffc.tv. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that you not only can meet us here in this building, because your word says wherever two or three are gathered, there you, you, God, are in the midst. So we welcome you here today. But at the very same time, you're at the church around the corner, down the street. You're on the West Coast helping meet the needs of the people over there, using your body, the, the, the church, the people of the church, to minister to those who are going through just horrific dark times as they're trying to recover from the hurricane damage. And Father, you're also all the way around the world doing what you do through your body. And we just thank you for being part of our service today. We have ears to hear, we have eyes to see, and we have a heart to receive. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I want to welcome everybody on Facebook or uh, YouTube. We appreciate you tuning in. We miss you. We'd like to see you. But if you can't make it, this is the next best thing. So, we're talking about uh, instruction that Jesus gave after he had lived a, uh, the mission that God had for him. He came, he, he set the example, he demonstrated what it looked like for God to walk with us. Then he went ahead and went to the cross. He paid the price for our sin. He was in the tomb. He was down there for three days. He went to death. He went to hell. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. He came back victorious. He, he walked the earth after he rose from the dead. And for 40 days, he impacted 500 people, showing that what he had said the whole time he was alive was true. Isn't it good to find out what somebody tells you is true? Yeah. You ever have that person in your life where they tell you something, and you automatically go, hmm, you know, you just don't buy it. You got to get some more um, facts, or you got to hear something that, that substantiates their claim. Well, Jesus, even though he never told a lie, he never misrepresented, he never we call it evangelistically spoke because, and it's, you know, pastors, we kind of rib evangelists and evangelists like to rib us and stuff. Um, <clears throat> but uh, they'll say, evangelists will say, well, there was a thousand people there. And we'll say evangelistically speaking, because in our mind, there's probably like 150 people there. You know, they, get, they exaggerate sometimes. I'm sorry, any evangelist that's watching. Uh, but, you know, it's a joke. And Jesus actually was used by God to speak the truth. Every single word he said, he never exaggerated. He, he never made it bigger than it really was. And then he came back after he was crucified. He was tortured, he was murdered, he was beaten to death. He died, they put him in his tomb, he rose again, he came back, and he said, I told you. You know, that's what he said. He goes, look, I told you. And he proved it, that, that it, was, it, was, it was real. And see, a lot of times, people, they view their religion as just that. It's just religion. But when you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, when he's real to you, it's not religion. It's relationship. And now he's talking to a bunch of people on the hillside, followers of his, <clears throat> and he's saying, guys, listen, I got to go. I know I've been with you for three and a half years, but the time has come for me to go, but it's okay. Because as I go, I'm going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to come down, and he's not going to just live with you. He's going to live in you. 
He's going to take up his residence on the inside of you. And then because of that, or as a result of that, you will be my witnesses. And he starts telling them about the mission possible that was now presented to them. And they can do it because God himself is living on the inside of them. He's not doing it in a way that's demanding. He really, I believe, wants us to see it as exciting. As we get to do this. We get to be a part of this. We get to not only have God with us, but we get to have God move through us to save the world. That's incredible. I don't know. I, I'm a little more excited than you guys. Some of you are like, save the world, maybe on Tuesday at 1, I could work it. Come on. What, you guys baptized in lemon juice? Listen, this is big news. Thanks, <laughs> Pastor Mark. Yeah. God wants to use you, not them, not her, not him, you, to save the world. And he's not saying, go do it, and I'll judge you on how well you did. Anybody ever get the picture of God where he's sitting there looking to see how good you do? Well, you really blew it that time, Mike. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have got mad at them. You shouldn't have done that. No, no, no. God's up there saying, come on, let's do it together. That's what he's saying. He goes, let's do it together. I got this. I got you. But you got to go, and I'll go with you. If you don't go, I can't go. But if you go, I'll go with you. When the disciples, it talks about at the end of the chapter, it says, and they went, and they saw many miracles because God went with them and worked with them. So if we go do what God, Jesus, is asking us to do, he'll show up and make the difference. Don't you want to hang out with God? Don't you want to see his power flow through you and change the lives of those you love? Don't you want to see his power flow through you and change the lives of those you are difficult to love? Maybe a struggle to love? That's more important than getting the ones you love saved. Because then they'll stop being the way that's making them difficult to love, and they'll start being like Jesus, right? It's a win-win. It's a win-win. So here's the deal. Here's the scripture we're building this off of, Acts 1-8. But you will receive power. Let me tell you something. God comes into your life, you got all kind of power available now that you did not have before. You will receive, which means it was lacking before, but now you will have it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be, you will be, you will be, you will be, and you will be, and you will be, and you will be, and you will be, you will be my witnesses because you've allowed him to come in. You're now working with him, and his power is going to manifest in a way where people are going to look and say, something different about Donna. If you knew Donna before Jesus and after Jesus, they're not even similar. They look the same, but everything about them is different. She now has this love for people, and she's concerned about what they're going through and how they're doing and, and whether they're going to make heaven or not. Not that she was mean before, but that just wasn't a priority because she didn't have the revelation of heaven and hell and how it's, they're real. And there's something to be gained going to heaven. There's something to be shunned going to hell because hell's forever. And Donna's not willing that anybody should go. Just like the Bible says, God is not willing. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but it's their choice. So he uses us to help them make the right choice. That makes sense? So we're an important part of what God wants to do. I hope you guys are with me on this. 
And then he says, you're going to do it in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we covered that at the beginning of this. And then here's a, another scripture that kind of unpeels the onion a little bit about what does it mean to be my witnesses. In, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, we are. Say this. Say, we are. I am. I am. We are ambassadors of Christ. What does that mean? It means we're the sent ones. We, we have a job. We have a mission. We're the sent ones to represent him. When we walk in the room, it's not just us. It's God with us. Never fear, God is here. Not me, but the God in me because he lives on the inside of me. And me and God can make a difference. Me and God are the majority. Me and God are able to defeat anything the enemy steps up against us because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So this should be confidence building. It should, it should cause you, even if you're insecure in yourself, I understand that. But you don't have to be insecure anymore because God is on the inside of you. And he's not there just, to, he didn't go to you to retire. It's not like seniors moved to Boca to retire. No, he moved to you to get some stuff done. He, he moved into you to change the world. Amen? And if you live in Boca, it doesn't mean you're old. Sorry, Chris. But anyway. <laughs> and now listen to the next part of this scripture. And this is why this is, man, it's so powerful. We are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. As though, as though, just as, just like. God living on the inside of us. Our life should be a representation of God making his appeal to those who are far from him to be reconciled to him because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not because they do everything right. Not because they live right. Not because they quit doing all the bad things they do. Because Jesus died to pay the price for their sin. I was meditating on this today as I was preparing. And uh, I read another translation. I want to read it to you. This is um, the Passion Translation of 2 Corinthians 5.20. It says this. It says, put your glasses on, Mike. No. It says, we are ambassadors of the anointed one who carried the message of Christ to the world. We are the ones who carried the message of Christ to the world. Listen to this. As though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf, turn back to God and be reconciled to him. So we're not judging people that we, we say, oh, look at those sinners or look at the way they live or look at their different religion. Our job is not to judge them. Our job is to, to, to present God's love where it, it's tenderly pleading for them to return to God, to turn their life back to God to allow God into their life so they can be eternally saved in a relationship with the Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. That's why we're here. You ever wonder why when you get saved, you don't just, you know, tra transport up to heaven like Star Trek? You know why? Because there's people here who aren't saved. And God needs you to reach them. You say, Pastor Mike, I'm busy. You know, I work and I, I've got a family. i got... Aren't you glad that whoever got you here wasn't too busy? Aren't you glad that whoever shared the good news with you wasn't too busy? There's nothing more important than letting people see Jesus in you.
And that's really what this is all about. So how are we ambassadors of Christ? The first way we talked about it yesterday is we do it by sharing our lives. We do it by, by living out loud, not, not putting our, our light under a bushel, we learned in that first part of the series, but we actually let our light shine, who Jesus is to us, and, and the difference he's made in our lives. We don't hide it. We're not undercover Christians. We don't have to be in their face. We don't have to stand on street corners with bullhorns and scream at people when they go by, sinner going to hell. You know, we don't do that. We just live a life where people ask us, what's up with you? Why, why, why aren't you stressed out like I'm stressed out? How did you get through that situation when the doctor gave you that diagnosis? How, how did you not lose it and freak out? How do you still have your job when 80% of the department you were in is laid off? You want to hear miracles like that? Talk to Ralph. Ralph, his, a bunch of people in his department were laid off, and they said, no, we're keeping Ralph. You know why? Because Ralph is a tool that's used by God to impact the lives around him, and God protects him and keeps him where he needs him to be, and he'll do it for you too. He will put favor around you like a shield, the Bible says. It's, it's incredible the way God will move in your life when you just say, here am I, Lord, use me, and you choose to live your life in a way. You share your life with people. And, and you do it in a way where as they're living life next to you, they can see the difference. That's the number one way. We're going to talk about the number two way that we embrace this, this mission of being an ambassador to Christ. And that is that you, you share your story. When we start talking about sharing our story and, and people start talking about evangelizing and evangelism and stuff, those are big words, and honestly, they can be intimidating. Those are big church words. I, I, I can't be an evangelist. I, I'm, I'm not able to evangelize anyone. But really, if you, if you, if you really kind of get all the, the scary stuff away from evangelism, do you know what it means? It means sharing the story of the gospel from your perspective. Not from some theologian who went to school for 100 years and knows all the big Bible words. No. Evangelism is you just sharing your story and what Jesus did for you. That's it. That's the extent of it. That's the weight of it. You just share your story and what Jesus did for you. And it, 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 it makes it a lot easier. And it, it, there's not so much pressure. You know, it doesn't have to be about bullhorns and theological debates and knowing all the mysteries of the Bible and, you know, and what happened to the dinosaurs. I don't know what happened to the dinosaurs. I don't need to know what happened to the dinosaurs to share my story of what Jesus did to me because there's no dinosaurs in my story. They didn't walk out my backyard. I don't know anything, you know, about the exact reason why they were and then they weren't and stuff like that. And there's actually some scriptures that make you think, hey, there might have been some dinosaurs in Bible times. Some people debate that, but you know what? Those are distractions from you sharing your story. Because people don't need to hear what other people live through. The people that will listen to you need to hear your story. What difference did Jesus make in your life? Because you're the one they know. You're not somebody on TV. You're not some preacher behind a pulpit. They don't have any idea where he came from, what he's been through. You're somebody they know. You're somebody they'll listen to. It's about sharing your story. And when you share your story, it's incredible what God can do. To make it even easier, 
It's not about religion at all. It's not about knowing the beginning to the end. It's not about knowing the books of the Bible and, and theological surmising or I can't even think of the big words. It's not for me. But I can tell you my story. I can tell you where I was before Jesus and where I am after Jesus. It's about that personal touch that makes people listen and pay attention. It's about allowing God to, to move in your life in such a way that other people can see him. When people look at your life, do they see Jesus? If you let your life shine, they will. I want to go back to a story we started in the very first part of the series when we were talking about salt, light, and fishing, and then we talked about it again at the beginning of this series, and God just keeps bringing me back to it, but I want to look at it from a little different perspective and, and, and show you just how your story is so powerful to impact people's lives with the gospel. In John chapter 9, Jesus is at the height of his ministry, and he's got his disciples with him, and they're walking, and they come up on this blind guy, and the disciples want to do what a lot of people sometimes want to do. They want to get real religious. And here's this blind guy, and they walk up, and they're like, okay, Jesus, he's blind. He was blind from birth. Who sinned, him or his mom and dad? I love the way Jesus addressed this, because those are distractions when you get into those kind of debates and stuff. He said, guys, not about that. And we all know that based on what the Bible says, that sin, and, and when sin entered in, the fall of man, sickness, disease, that all came with it. So it's not that that individual sin. There's a lot of horrible people that sin all the time. They're healthy as a horse. They're not sick at all. They're doing very well financially. Their kids aren't born with deformities. They're not born, they're, you know. So if it was the act of sin that caused every person to have uh, an infirmity, first of all, we'd all be sick because every one of us sinned. And they were trying to focus it down to who sinned? You know, almost like the gospel of gossip. Who sinned? Was it the mom and dad? Wonder what they did. Or was it him? Oh, that scoundrel. He was born blind, so how could it have been him? Did he sin in his mother's womb? It doesn't even make sense. It's a distraction. And that's what the devil wants to do, is distract us from mission possible, which is being an ambassador for Christ. Amen? So Jesus says, it's not about that. He goes, right now, right now, this is happening so that the glory of God can be manifest in our midst. In other words, this is happening so you can see the power that eventually is going to flow through you. What do you mean? What do you, how, I can't heal, heal anybody of blindness. No, you can't. But the God in you can. Well, how does that happen? The Bible says that believers will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. See, sickness, disease, infirmity has no power to stand against the power of God that flows through his kids. That makes sense? So that kind of gives you a little bit more confidence. It's like walking into a bar fight with a gun. You know, they've all got, you know, pool cues and knives and you got a gun. You're in a pretty good position. You got the power of God on the inside, which is the biggest gun in any fight. So it doesn't matter what the devil has. It's nothing compared to what you have on the inside of you. Amen? So let's keep going. And instead of Jesus focusing on who sinned, Jesus just says, watch. He takes some dirt. And there's so much stuff in the Bible we can't explain, but that's God. He takes some dirt, he spits in it, 
makes a little mud pie. If you ever watch Beverly Hillbillies, he made a POTUS, <laughs> Granny, <laughs> Granny Clampett would make, or, you know, uh, uh, anointed salve, if you will. He makes it, and he takes this spitty dirt, mud, and he puts on this guy's eyes, who'd been blind since he was born. He's never seen. And then he says this, what? Yeah. <laughs> he didn't even see it coming. That was Chris. But anyway, then he says, hey, now that I've put this spitty mud in your eye, go down to the pool of Siloam and wash it off. So the guy goes down to the pool of Siloam. He washes it off. When he washes it off and he wipes his eyes, he can see for the first time in his life. You know, he never knew what trees looked like. He never knew what other people looked like. He just knew what they felt like and, and would imagine the form but he had no idea how blue the sky was, how pretty flowers were. He didn't know any of that because he had never seen. Now he could see. So needless to say, he gets pretty excited. Much more excited than y'all when I was telling you God wanted to use you, but that's okay. Anyway, so he's excited. He's running around. People are looking at him and say, hey, wait a second. Isn't that the guy that was begging at the gate? See, because in their culture, there wasn't a whole lot of jobs for people who were blind. So he literally had to sit at the gate where people come into town with his little cup out and hope somebody would drop money. And it's the only way he had to make any money. That was his life. But now he's running around. He's looking at people. He's hearing their voice and saying, ah, I never knew what you looked like. Wow, you're beautiful. You know, I mean, <laughs> he, he sees people for the first time. People start noticing, hey, is that the guy who used to beg? No, nah, that's just somebody that looks like him. He stops and says, hey, it is me. I'm the guy that used to beg, but now I can see. I, can, I see you. I see you. He can see. And the people, are you sure? You sure that's him? It's me. He actually gets a little indignant about it. You read the story. He gets a little indignant. He says, it is me. I could see. And he's excited about it. He's telling his story to anybody who will listen. And the people say, wait a second. This, this, this sounds like it's what happened. He says, this guy, Jesus, he came up. He spit in the dirt. Rubbed it, put it on my eyes, told me to go wash it off. I washed it off and I could see. So they immediately say, we got to talk to somebody who knows about this religious stuff. So they get the Pharisees, the religious guys, you know, the ones that always kind of throw water on the fire. Anyway, and they come and they say, what happened? Well, he was blind and now he can see. How does that happen? Well, this guy, Jesus, what do you mean Jesus? They hated Jesus. Why? Because he was undermining everything that they stood for, the control. It wasn't so much about God as it was about them being godly. They knew the scriptures, but they had let it cause them to puff themselves up in pride. And they now had control over people, and they looked down on people who was not in their position. Not the way God is, but that's what religion will do to you. So, they're saying, hold on, and then they go, wait a second, Jesus is a sinner, today's the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. Can you imagine being healed of blindness your whole life? And somebody said, no, it shouldn't have been today. You're like, what are you talking about? I can see. I can see. But the, the, the uh, Pharisee just wouldn't have it. They go, we don't believe you. Uh, go get his parents and bring him here. So they go get his parents and they bring him back. Say, is this your son? Yes, it's my son. Was he blind? Yes, he was blind. From birth? Yes, he was blind from birth. How'd this happen? And they go, I don't know. Ask him. He's an adult. He can tell you. Now, the backstory of why they said this was because they knew that if they said it was Jesus, they would get kicked out of the synagogue. They would be ostracized from their culture. They would be an outcast from then on. So they basically tossed their kid under the bus and said, ask him. 
And they asked him, and he said, Jesus. And they're, how do you do it? How do you do it? He's a sinner. How could a sinner heal you of this? This isn't right. This isn't what God would do. We know Moses. He doesn't know Moses. How would he be able to do this? And this is what the guy says. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. Look with me, if you will. John 9, 25. They're bugging him, and they're asking him, how did he do it? How did he do it? He was a sinner. That's what the guy says. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. That's all I got. I don't have the details. I don't have the, the, the backstory to this. All I know is I was blind, and now I see. And that drove the Pharisees, the religious guys, nuts. But his story impacted them in such a way, as you study this, you'll find that even the Pharisees started disputing with each other. He's a sinner. Well, how could a sinner do something that only God can do? He must, you sure he's not of God? And they started debating themselves because God showed up in the midst and he kind of ruffled everybody's feathers to say, there's a new, there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new power on the scene that's able to do things that we've never seen before. And it happened through this man, Jesus. So the guy shares his story. I believe each one of us have a story. And I believe our story is just as powerful as this one to the people God brings across our path. It doesn't have to be a story of blindness. It can be a story of freedom. It can be a story of deliverance. It can be a story of peace when you've been anxious your whole life. Every one of us have a story that if we share it, God will have an opportunity to show up. And those around us will have an opportunity to see God's real He's not just a story. He's not just a religious fable, but he's real. And they share their story. I have a story. I have a story of the lifestyle I lived before Jesus and the one I live now. I grew up believing that um, to be a man, you had to be successful. You had to, you know, have a good job, make money. You had to be able to fight and win. Anybody can fight, but you, you need to be able to win. And uh, you had to get a lot of women. So that was my story. I worked very hard at those three things. And I lived a life that all my friends thought, wow, he's got it made. Look at how this guy's living. I had a job where I got a brand new car every three days. Three days. Made good money. Met a lot of women. But what they didn't know was that lifestyle was actually a trap. And it was causing me to hollow out on the inside. You stop feeling after you do that a lot. And you all of a sudden become this empty shell that the things you thought were going to bring you joy and, and a sense of accomplishment other, otherwise left you kind of empty. And I got to the point where I didn't even like me anymore. And I met this girl, Donna, and uh, she was amazing, incredible. Girl in my dreams, literally, I'll tell you that story someday. And we got married. But you know, that old lifestyle didn't just let go. It tried to keep sneaking back. And God showed up through my brother. And he led Donna to the Lord through an invitation. And he got me to recommit my life. I got saved when I was 16. I was uh, in a church and living my life. And on the way to this life I thought was going to be what I set my goals for. And uh, all of a sudden the preacher one day, his name was Roger Murphy. 
he's standing up there and he's preaching and something happened because of the words he was saying. And on inside of me, I knew that this was my moment. This is something. And I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to be religious. I went to a church. I had long hair, long hair. And the people at that church said, if you, well, you know, if you've got long hair, you're going to hell. I mean, they would tell me that. They would literally tell me that with a picture of Jesus on the wall right behind him with long hair. This is the end of this teaching. We hope you enjoyed it. To stay connected with our ministry, visit us on the web at myffc.tv or like us on Facebook.